Wessex LMCs, supporting you and your practice. Hello, my name is Nigel Watson. I'm a GP and Chief Executive of Wessex Local Medical Committees. And today we're going to talk about learning disabilities. So I'd like to introduce my co-presenters. Um, would you like to introduce yourself, Amy? So, hi, I'm Amy George. I am the Strategic Health Facilitator for the East Hampshire and Fairham and Gospel area. Hi, I'm Marta Coates and I am Strategic Health Facilitator for um, North and Mid Hampshire. So my first question is, what's a Strategic Health Facilitator? Um, okay, so we are all learning disability nurses, but right. our job role is to try and help reduce the health inequalities that people with a learning disability face when they access mainstream healthcare services. So, for instance, a lot of the work might be around working with the GP surgeries, but it can also be working with um, other services like midwives, health visitors, diabetic teams, podiatry. So any okay. healthcare service you can think of. So you're, you're nurses by training, but you're specifically trained in learning disabilities and you have quite a wide brief in terms of looking after that group. Yes. Okay, so let's, let's just get into some sort of basic questions then. So um, one thing that sometimes confuses people, uh, Marta, what's the difference between learning disabilities and learning difficulties? They're, they're, I think they're probably used interchangeably by GPs. Yes, they indeed are. So people with learning disabilities um, will often have difficulties in um, processing new or complex information they may have issues around social and adaptive functioning, but also will have um, cognitive impairment. So when we think about the IQ, they will often have IQ of below 70. People with learning difficulties will not have cognitive impairment. So they, are, they will be diagnosed with things like dyslexia, ADHD, sensory um, impairment, for example, but actually their cognition is not impaired. Right, okay. So would we expect all the people with learning disabilities to be on a register then? Yes. Ideally, we would like to see people with learning disability on learning disability register at, at their GP practice. Right. And Amy, who, who diagnoses that? Because I don't think many GPs would, would make that diagnosis. That would come through your service, would it? Um, mm, we don't accept referrals for everybody needing a diagnosis. Our psychologists... Um, can complete a um, what's called a, a WACE, which is an intelligence scale, um, but they will only complete that for people if there's going to be a health need that would directly benefit the person when they receive that diagnosis. So, for instance, we had a case where somebody's care package had been completely reduced because it was believed that he was independent with most of his daily living activities. Um, but what then resulted was that he had a quite a decline in his mental health um, and neglect to his self-care. Um, and psychology were believing at the time that actually people were overestimating what he could and couldn't do. And what the intelligence scale does is that it highlights which areas somebody's good at and which areas they're not so good at. So by doing the intelligence scale and therefore getting him the IQ and the, definite, the, the diagnosis at the end... It also highlights to social care where his areas of deficit are and then they know then how to tailor his package of care. Okay, so we'll explore a bit later the difference between the, you know, the um, need for the social care for people in particular circumstances and, and the um, health need, um, which, which is really critical. So um, 
GPs quite often see people who have a label, and often it's a label more than diagnosis of autism. So is autism considered in the sort of spectrum of learning disabilities? Marta? No, so autism is a devel developmental um, condition, so autism spectrum condition. Um, people with learning disabilities are at increased risk of having learning disability, uh, sorry, uh, autism, but not all people with autism will have a learning disability. Okay, I think we're in danger of making this more confusing, but okay, yes. so you, you, you can have autism, which is separate to a learning disability, yes. okay. So it comes back to the IQ element as well, because people with autism may have a higher than average IQ. Right. So what, what are other conditions often get confused with learning disabilities? Amy? Dyslexia, dyspraxia, um, sensory processing disorder. Autism is probably the most common. Um, and I think that, again, the term, using the term learning difficulty is often what gets confused with a learning disability. Okay, so I think I've got that clear in my own mind. So let's look at some facts about learning disabilities. Um, what, what is, Marta, what's the prevalence of learning disabilities amongst the general population? So historically, we understood that there was about 1.5% um, of um, people would have a learning disability. We've done quite a bit of work around learning disability registers in Hampshire, and we found that um, the amount of people with learning disabilities on a, learning, on a, on a register, LD register, would be, be around 0.5% actually. So even though there are quite a few different figures kind of floating around and, and, and primary care is often pushed to increase their learning disability register, we did not find um, that that is kind of, um, kind of doesn't seem to be the case for the, for the Hampshire certainly. And we don't have any other um, colleagues across the country who can confirm otherwise really, but we, we find 0.5. So do you think that's probably underreporting? Do you think that's an underestimate of the numbers? It may be indeed. Um, I mean, as we were talking about the kind of diagnosis, so educational or clinical psychologists can provide a, a, a diagnosis of learning disabilities, but we do know that certain age groups probably wouldn't have that opportunity to have that diagnosis. And so they, they can indeed be missed uh, from the learning disability register. But equally, again, from the work we've done, which was very close work based on the codes and read codes within practices, um, we really can't see that there is a huge amount of people missing. So, you know, if you take an average practice of 10,000 patients, you're then suggesting that 0.5%, so we might have 50 people with a learning disability on our register in our practice. But actually, going back to what you said before, you know, as a GP, I wouldn't diagnose as somebody as having a learning disability. I think that's... that's um, not within my skill set to say this person has got it. But if I can't refer you in, into your service to get a diagnosis, where do they go to get a diagnosis? So they may get that done through the Department of Works and Pensions if it's in terms of needing to get benefits. Um, then, as Marta's already mentioned, there might be those that are in education still who could get it through their educational psychology team. Um, but also, without maybe getting a formal diagnosis, there are tools that you can use to try and help you clinically decide whether they do or don't fit into that group. Um, and it's there's something called the learning disability or not learning disability inclusion tool. Um, and that's something that we use when we're looking at the GP records to see whether or not the person should be on the register or not. So I suppose, it, from, I suppose, from, GP's, I suppose from GP's point of view, the issue is have we coded them properly? 
or, or are they not on the register because we've not added the right code? Okay, yeah. so let's, let's go on and have a look. So um, learning disabilities is a sort of very broad term. Do you, do you subdivide it into um, various categories, Marta? Yes, so people may have mild learning disability, moderate, severe or profound uh, learning disability. And obviously, um, this assessment will depend on their abilities and the, on their IQ as well. So milder learning disability, obviously, people will be more able. They often will live um, independently with little bit um, or no support, really. Um, perhaps a little bit of a network around them. People with profound learning disability will require 24-7 care. And, and what sort of proportion in your experience the, the, the people that you um, engage with are uh, sort of mild, moderate and severe? Presumably you don't have a lot to do with the mild ones. You're mainly focused on the moderate to severe. Would that be fair? Um, I think you probably overestimate the need, uh, underestimate the need sometimes of people with a mild learning disability. I think we often think that because they can communicate quite well verbally and that they live quite independently, that we assume that they sometimes know more than maybe they do. So we sometimes think that we would expect them to tell us as a GP what's wrong, but actually they don't still always notice um, or are able to tell you what is wrong with them. Um, and then again, with the people with more severe learning disabilities who might be able to not be able to talk to you, I think we underestimate sometimes what they can understand. Um, Okay, so so you said earlier about you, uh, you know, you, you talked about practices and their register. Have you have you done some work locally with general practice to improve the register, Marta? Yes, yes, we did. So we have helped to develop uh, what we called learning disability MyQuest query, which was um, a search tool that was um, used based on a number of read codes used within the practice. Um, it, this has pulled patients with certain coding um, onto the worksheet and that was all also shared with us um, from the practices and we basically have worked our way through the registers through this search tool findings to identify whether the person was known to learning disability teams so whether we could absolutely confirm that they had a learning disability in some areas we also work with social services to see whether they had any records in relation to person's um, uh, learning disability or not learning disability and then we often set in GP practices going through the um, medical records and again using the the kind of knowledge from the search tool um, or inclusion tool Amy was talking about we would try to find evidence whether somebody may or may not have learning disability so for example we have found people on uh, learning disability registers that were psychology students taxi drivers and we can absolutely we certainly say that those individuals do not have learning disability so, so, you know, learning disabilities is, is quite high profile this year, you know, in, in, from GPs, it's um, part of the primary care network, DARES, it's also part of the quality improvement activity and the quality and outcome framework. So, you know, really high priority for very good reasons. So, I mean, if we just explore, um, in, in your terms, the life expectancy of people with learning disabilities is shorter. Um, do, would you like to just explain a bit more about that, Amy? Um, so there is a national mortality review that's been happening now for a couple of years, um, often shortened to leader, um, and they review the deaths of people with a learning disability to see what we can learn from those. And they're identifying that people with a learning disability are often dying about 27 years younger than those without a learning disability. 
And that's not because they die younger because they have a learning disability. They're dying younger of um, preventable causes. Um, and often people with a learning disability are going into hospital, emergency, um, A&E f- with conditions that could be better managed within primary care as well. Um, and often the, the premature reasons for people dying earlier are constipation, sepsis, epilepsy, uh, respiratory conditions, pneumonia, aspiration pneumonia. That's quite shocking, really, isn't it? You know, to think somebody's dying, you know, 25 to 30 years younger than you would expect them to. Um, yes, yeah. And so, okay, so it's, it, it is therefore not surprising that there's a focus on learning disabilities, but also what we can do about their physical health um, as well as their mental health. Okay, so are there any particular factors that, that you feel um, impact people with learning disabilities to optimise their health? What, what, what could we do? We'll talk about the um, annual health checks in a minute, but what things, so if you look at the leader report and it comes out with these stark findings, what should we be doing differently um, to improve these people's lives and also not only their quality of life, but their length of life? Marta? So we should probably just be a little bit more mindful of what reasonable adjustments people may require to access services. So, for example, um, some people may be worried um, about attending surgeries, and that was before COVID. So obviously with COVID currently being a kind of um, one of the situations we are dealing with, obviously just being mindful of that. So if people need to be seen face to face, just reassure them that they are safe maybe um, make them aware that people have to use PPE and what that looks like. So um, again, we had um, a carer uh, describing yesterday that a a young man attended surgery and when the doctor came out in a PPE, the the service user, the young man, actually thought that they they were in a PPE because they just looked after somebody with COVID, not because they have the protective equipment to protect him generally. And this is something that's currently happening quite um, freely. So just keeping people really informed, really make them understand um, what what is happening, what is expected of them, and, and just be clearer. So thinking about communication and communicating with people in a way they can understand. So rather than kind of assuming somebody's understanding, maybe check that they understood as well. And then, you know, I mean, you talk about accessing services. So presumably things like screening come into that, that sometimes I think in the past people have excluded people with learning disabilities from, script, from script screening rather than communicating and making reasonable adjustments because many of them can access the screening, but you just need to be, um, you know, explain things more and just, you know, be, be sensitive to what the, the, their challenges are. Would that be fair? Yes, and I think it's about talking to the person and maybe talking to the carer as well. So finding out what is it that they think will be a barrier, what is it that we can do about it. Again, providing information, easy read or inaccessible information, pictorial information, maybe allowing person to visit the surgery or meet the person who is going to be um, doing the screening. Again, just kind of breaking that barrier of of fear of somebody coming um, to an unfamiliar place for the first time. So just, again, a kind of really being focused on that person-centred reasonable adjustment that will make uh, a difference. Yeah, and I also understand that the, you know, some of the premature deaths are because of cardiovascular disease, because people don't manage it in the same way as they would with other people, and we should be looking at um, the person and the holistic care of that person. Um, we shouldn't be excluding treatments or and you know, managing blood pressure, doing regular checkups becomes uh, as important for this group as any other group. 
Okay, Amy, would you like to just, why would you say the annual health checks are so important? Um, so there have been a couple of studies over the years that are highlighting that they do reduce the number of emergency hospital admissions, um, as I touched upon earlier, and usually it's due to the management of constipation, the management of epilepsy, and the annual health checks Obviously, there is an epilepsy section within there and there's a discussion to be had around the person's bowels and how they are and medication reviews. So they help with those two key issues that usually result in people being admitted to the emergency department. But they're also important because they help to build a rapport with the service user um, and their carers. They get them used to being seen when maybe they're not unwell so that when they are unwell, they come back to you and they tell you they know that the surgery is accessible. Um, it also helps because not everybody with a learning disability can tell you what they're experiencing, how they're feeling. They might not know how to say check for lumps, for instance, um, and that's all part of the annual health check as well, testicular examination, breast examination. So there are proactive elements of the annual health check that may not happen at home for the person. Do you think they're better done by nurses or GPs? I think it's a mixture. I think you have to have the right person and the right template to do the annual health check. So I have seen annual health checks done by a GP on their own, but they didn't use a good template and it, so it wasn't a great annual health check. And I've also seen a healthcare assistant do the annual health check by themselves, but they used a good template. So they did as much as they could, but there were still bits missing. So I think you, you need to have the right mix, the right people and the right template. Very diplomatic answer. <laughs> I, I have to say I was a sort of the lead for learning disabilities in my practice and I used to do them, but I used to do them in partnership with one of our nurse practitioners who was very good at doing them. Um, and actually between us, I used to tend to do the medication reviews and look at some of the more technical aspects, but she was really good at talking to the service user and the carers and putting them in at ease and spending some time going through all those things you know as a gp things like constipation are not probably the highest thing on our agenda and i think the easy thing is to go down a very medical model where my personal belief is that these annual health health checks are, uh, are much broader than just being a, a very medicalized model of care um, and you know that question of uh, what's important to the person um, and the carers can often tell you that rather than what's important to the, the doctor, dare I say. Um, okay, that's, that's really helpful. I think we'll stop there. I think we've covered quite a lot of ground in our first podcast. We're going to talk in future about um, things like cancer screening um, and many other subjects, the medication and the uh, stop medication uh, where it's not necessary. But I think at this point in time, we'll stop there. So can I thank Marta and I can thank Amy uh, for your contribution to this. Thank you. Thank you. Wessex LMC's supporting you and your practice.